0: If you're going for large markets and uh, very high enterprise customers, you should likely be working very closely to figure out what is the story for your enterprise sellers versus trying to do a massive demand gen strategy, right? Marketing and product, I'd say, and I think what often these functions together in a startup have them sit very close to the customer stories. First thing is like starting to do that matching between the customer segment that you're doing and the type of marketing organization that you should be building.
1: Hello, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Pitch Cafe Podcast. This is a place where talent meets coffee. Today, our talent is someone who has fascinated me in more than one angle. She's not only a role model for women, but deeply stands for one message purpose and profit in business. Our guest of honor today at Pitch Cafe Podcast. At a very young age, is heading the marketing group at an interesting startup in enterprise. But before that, she has had amazing challenges in her career at Nutanix, McKinsey. She is also having big labels like Harvard University and UC Berkeley. So, in summary, she has a lot of advice for people who seek purpose, profit, lessons in marketing, career, confidence and lot more. So if you are someone who is a career aspirant, do listen to this podcast all the way to the end. It is with huge privilege and honor, I would like to invite Nikita Jagadish, one of my amazing role model here, to this podcast. And let's kick this off. Welcome, Nikita. Welcome to Pitch Cafe Podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Vida, for having me.
1: Awesome. So let's get started with go back in time and talk about one of the most powerful memories that inspired you to become a woman leader.
0: So just a little bit of context on on, on who I am and my story. Uh, I moved to the U.S. at the age of seven from India, and uh, I was lucky at that time, my family landed in California and in the heart of Silicon Valley. I, I remember uh, getting exposure to technology for the first time when my mom actually took me to a special day called Take Your Daughters to Work Day. Uh, it was an exciting day. You get to miss all day of school. I was in second grade at that time and uh, attend her meeting, shadow her and go to, go to talks. I still remember uh, one of the most exciting talks that we had that day. It was basically the CEO at that time of Autodesk, which is a large technology company, Fortune 500 company. And the CEO gave a talk to all of us daughters uh, that were sitting there and addressed the talk directly to us about what it means to be a CEO, what her day-to-day responsibilities were. And uh, she did all of this wearing an amazing pink uh, blazer, which I remember very distinctly. And, and I love seeing you know pink and seeing just people be themselves. And so I think for me, it was seeing her actually for the first time, seeing someone in that position, having so much poise, having so much charisma, having so much knowledge, that it got me really inspired. I actually uh, raised my hand and asked her the question, when you were eight years old, did you ever imagine you could be in such a role? And and she just laughed and said, I didn't even know what a CEO was at at that time. And I remember thinking, this is just so cool to see someone that has so much knowledge uh, getting to us getting access to her and it's such a privilege to get to do that. And that to me, I think was Powerful because it was the first sign of representation probably that I've had in my life, right? Seeing someone powerful that could possibly look like me in that role and seeing um, just a level of impact and the level of knowledge and the level of failure she was comfortable talking to all of us about.
1: This is is such a fantastic uh, uh, story and it resonates with every woman out there. Uh, we are in the age of fifth industrial revolution and diversity is uh, one of the top priorities for any corporation. And you you bring this uh, with such an amazing story. Thank you for that, Nikita. With that, let's move on to your hypothesis about a successful career, you know, building confidence, especially for women leaders. You've been a champion at move up, and the kind of amazing work you did by empowering underprivileged women. What is your advice uh, to, to women when it comes to career and confidence?
0: It's a great question, and confidence is something uh, that's been a theme that I've thought a lot about. A little bit more of a backstory is that I started, when I was kind of starting my career off, I also started a nonprofit on the side. The nonprofit was called Move Up, and our charter was really to work with underserved women uh, to help them find jobs, start small businesses. Um, women that were coming from really difficult situations, right, domestic violence, single moms, widows, women who had often not not gotten the privilege of having career services like folks that have attended university here or having the kind of career mentors that many of us are very fortunate enough to have at work. And so as I started doing this uh, program and building this program, one of the big realizations I had was how much confidence was playing a role in people actually applying for jobs and how they were portraying themselves. And one of the earliest lessons that we had in this was the first session that it was a mentoring organization. And the first session that we would run would be uh, let's write your resume. Let's sit down for two hours and really write your resume, right? And um, during that session, we would be pulling information out. So what did you do, you know, even if you had a break 10 years ago, what were you doing at that time? What was the kind of uh, impact that you had? How many people were you working with? What was the role that uh, you played in uh, over time getting promoted? And what would happen in that session that I found continuously was the tone of the body language And how confident people were talking about their experience would change in the first hour to the second hour, because they finally started appreciating everything that they'd done, right? Right. And that to me, that personally was a light bulb moment, because I think many of us have suffered from different amounts of confidence at different points in their career. For me personally, it's hard every time I'm starting a brand new, I have a big transitional change. If I'm starting a a new job or I have a big change in my life, that's when I notice my confidence actively going up or down, right? Yeah. And so... um, It was really seeing Move Up and seeing the second life that I was leading where I started seeing the role of confidence and the charter for us at Move Up actually became, how can we actually increase the confidence by helping people realize everything that they'd already done, um, helping them understand often the biases that come with confidence. And one of the best books I write on this topic was, it was called The Confidence Code, where it breaks Mm -hmm. down what are the limitations of confidence that many of us have internally, right? And so to me, the way I think about this is confidence is a skill set, just like every other soft skill that you're practicing in your life. Like whether it's practicing for presentations or communication or learning how to code, you know, just like all of these are skill sets, know that confidence is something we all have to just actively work on. And there's techniques for that. And there's books you can read for that. But you know, some of the things I've learned over time is to write, you know, when things are going well, note some of those things down, right? If you get a positive reinforcement at work, if you get emails that are positive, if you have an experience where you learned a lot at work or you gave a presentation that went well or at your nonprofit or in your community center, writing some of those experiences down and almost having this journal of experiences that remind you just the skill sets and some of this, the past history that you've had. And then when times are low, you know, leveraging that and and reading those and keeping that journal. So that's definitely one thing. I think the second thing that's helped me is actually reading a lot more about this and realizing this is not something you're essentially always born with, but something you have to actively work on. Keep that in mind because it's very specific situations where you're going to notice a downward spiral in your confidence and so if you're active at catching this this is very similar to a lot of like therapy techniques of catching certain things that are happening in your day-to-day if you can catch when your confidence you think is going to go lower it helps you approach it much like an analytical problem versus something that lets you kind of really uh soak into it and take it down right yeah um, but I, I mean this is in no way this is in no way a perfected skill. Like, I think everyone, and no matter how confident people look on the outside, everyone is dealing with this every single day. I personally have a lot to learn on this. I'm constantly trying to learn on this, but the insight for me is how critical building your own confidence is as a muscle, just like every other skill set in your life. So.
1: Absolutely. Especially when a woman is in a leadership position and naturally she has this inclination to accommodate, to nurture, Uh, this kind of confidence uh, is very important for her and her surroundings. I really like the tips which you gave. It uh, makes it sound so doable. And I think it's going to go a long way in helping a the women who listen to this so with that uh, uh, i want to move on to the next question i am really fascinated by all the change making journeys you've had over and over again you've built change uh, whether it is move up or in your gigs at mckinsey or newton it's and now at instabase going from scratch to a sizable goal uh, what what does it mean to start small what does it mean to grow incrementally what does it uh, mean to you
0: In each of those experiences, I've had different learnings, right? So I'd say if I look at Nutanix, I joined when we were on 200 people. I got to see the company scale to several thousand and go public. At Instabase, I uh, joined uh, when I was about 100 people and then I saw it scale over the last couple of years as uh, several hundred and I was the first marketer there, right? What's been interesting as you scale has been just realizing how important it is. And I'm gonna take a more of a marketing lens and a product management lens because that's the roles that I was actually working on at those companies was first of all, how critical it is to ruthlessly prioritize, right? And so there were times where we actually sat down and said, there's 20 things we could be doing. We actually gave uh, leadership in the room almost like a sticker and said, if you could pick three things or four things, what could we do? And I think that's been one of my biggest learnings, which is, um, especially when you're at a startup, especially when you're trying to build a brand, it's very tempting to wanting to do everything and spread yourself thin. And so how can you really pick a few activities that are gonna move the needle? Uh, In both of the cases at Nutanix and Instabase, what we realized would move the needle is because we had an enterprise sales force that was actively... You know engaging with customers we said the thing that's going to be the biggest needle mover is how can we tell a compelling story about the product about the pain point about the messaging and you know in both the companies we went through iterations and iterations of this my time at Nutanix the company evolved over time and to become multi-product to become a SaaS product line and so this transition required us to be telling the story again and again And similarly, at Instabase, we were figuring out exactly which market do we play in? What is the persona that's going to have the biggest pain point? And we realized that it was actually a business level persona that would really have the pain point that Instabase was solving. Instabase is an automation platform for unstructured data, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. the biggest learning was, okay, so if the story can play such a powerful foundational role, how do you make sure you actually are building the story well from the get-go and then creating feedback loops to iterate on it. The way that we were able to do that is just building an extremely close collaboration with sales where sales was in the story making process with us. They were there, they were giving us customer testimonials of how customers were speaking about this. Uh, We were testing different types of visuals and messaging and stories. And that collaboration, I'd say, is one of the biggest things I would encourage kind of in that building stage to basically be able to go in and test us out. I'd say the second kind of uh, going small to big learning was, especially from the lens of marketing, was how important the, the role of the persona is which yeah. means that who am I really targeting? Who's my audience? Why do they even care about this problem? And right. the way that we actually learned this was in the beginning, we had some, we, we started tracking which meetings that we were running our first sales pitches and then where we actually moving to the second stage of the sales deal. Right. And that's what I would say is in the early days, often it's hard to track too much data because you may just yeah. may not have a lot of data, but yeah. any data that you can just start keeping a pulse on starts giving you very quick indication of the persona, right? And then you can test the persona in different places, go to conferences, try different messaging for the persona, and then see if you can actually change that metric from a persona perspective. And then I'd say the third piece around all of this was balancing when you're kind of in that early stage, balancing what you're currently doing with the vision is really important too in your messaging and story. The reason why a lot of companies at that time, when you're a startup are taking a bet on you, is because they're excited about your vision, right? And and naturally you've, you've been around for a few years. You may not have as built of a product as the incumbents in the space. At Nutanix, we had a lot of legacy incumbents that were like entrenched in our accounts from yeah. years and years. And what we found was you have to balance this vision with, with what you're doing today because the vision is in the end, why you built this company. It's what gets people excited. They feel that if they were actually to take this product and take a bet on it, They could get promoted their careers could get elevated because they're taking technologies you look at things like this with aws right um like people's careers as they become early adopters of aws and then they became certified um their careers transformed because of technologies like amazon aws and so i think that was other learning which is uh as a startup you have to be comfortable kind of doing that balance right
1: so this is fantastic Uh, so you talked about the importance of persona. Uh, about uh, staying close to the vision, redefining your vision, being aware of the need of your persona. Who is the person with the most need? And uh, it, it's nicely weaving into bringing the entire organization around the need of the hour. It's kind of like a flywheel effect, which which I think is uh, the buzzword in the industry. But you know what fascinates me about your journey is you've done that in the nonprofit world. You know, you did it in Move up, and you're doing the same thing. What do you think is the common thread here? You know, what can you say, you know, uh, like learnings from your nonprofit were, you know, replicable in the industry and vice versa?
0: You know, the nonprofit was for me just a really... Big growing experience personally, right? So because I was doing a lot of things that I had not done in my job yet. So when I started the nonprofit, we had to basically uh, build a brand. No one knew what our nonprofit was doing. We had to go and build partnerships with uh, organizations that had clients that needed our help, right? We had to go and basically build um, messaging and curriculum and uh, take a stab when nothing in nothing existed that we could rely on. So we were really building from scratch. Um, we had to build a, recruit a team of volunteers and get them excited about the vision because, I mean, we're a nonprofit. We're obviously not going to be able to uh, you know, pay our volunteers, but could we actually create a vision that's so compelling that they get excited? Yep. And so for me, I mean, I think now in reflection, you can think I can see that there's connections. But when I was doing it, it was more just here's a problem statement, how do we solve it? We have this vehicle, we have this incredibly talented group of mentors that have passion to help these, uh, the underserved women, how do we connect the two, right? Right. And and I think the bigger learning for me there was, one, if you're kind of excited about a certain cause or if you're excited about actually kind of making a difference, there's a lot of times to find those opportunities outside of work too. So if, for, for example, if someone wants to experience what it's like to lead a team, you yeah. may not be doing it at work yet, but maybe you can use your community or your nonprofit or your, you know, if you're involved in children's schools to get that leadership experience that you may not be able to get right now at work. Right. Yeah. Similarly, in the case of this nonprofit, how do you actually build a vision and how do you get the community excited? That was maybe not I wasn't doing it intentfully, but, you know, we were all working to do that. And as a result, that's like an experience that you can kind of take over to the workplace too. And so that was, I think what I'd say is, as you think about kind of the different um, circles in your life across work, across maybe the nonprofit work you're doing, across even some of the social circles that you're doing, there's probably themes and a lot of soft skills that you could be picking up. And how do you start doing those and actively looking for those so that not everything has to be linear at your time in your career right it helps it can it, all of these can basically be synergies that help amplify each of these experiences
1: yeah i think this is a really fantastic advice nikita i really liked it it not only uh, shows that you're a person who breaks barriers mentally. You started off the podcast with how, you know, bring in confidence and the confidence code to women leaders. And you're now talking about breaking the barriers uh, by not just limiting yourself to your day job, but exploring projects outside. This has been a phenomenal conversation. I cannot point at one favorite advice you gave. Everything you said is really important for women leaders, for the startup community, for venturers, for, for lots of people here. So Nikita, I have uh, this question uh, in mind after looking through your uh, career trajectory, you've been able to successfully navigate early career challenges and you had talked about it at length at the Violet Group about uh, what kind of choices you can make. What kind of advice do you wish you had received early in your career that you want to share with the audience today?
0: Definitely some of the best pieces of advice I've received partly from mentors and partly from my own experiences have been, first of all, in any role that you're doing, it's really important to build an internal board of people that can constantly give you uh, feedback on your actually day to day work that you're doing. So to give you an example, uh, me being in starting in product marketing. Um, and product management, it was really critical because I was in an enterprise organization to have a board of sales team members that I could constantly go to. You know, this was a learning that I had that over the years they became kind of my my closest collaborators. Whether it was coming up with a new pricing model for our SaaS offering, whether it was testing um, a new product line launch, whether it was coming up with messaging, this board should essentially be folks that. You know, at any point in the week, you can call them up and say, hey, I just need to brainstorm this with you. uh, And can you go test this out with customers uh, or test it out with partners? And you can do this in any role. It doesn't have to be, you know, product management and sales. You could do this on engineering side. And so think about who is your board internally and how can you cultivate that relationship? so that they will be there for you whenever you have to kind of get this feedback and and launch new areas. Mm -hmm. The second uh, learning I'd say is definitely like when you are at a company, you have, especially once you've been there for your first year and built your credibility, look for opportunities to build relationships across the company and use that to get feedback on you personally for your career growth. Right. And this is getting harder in the virtual workforce where you're not meeting people at lunchtime. But um, one of the things many companies now do is, you know, this idea of like we we don't have conversations where you get connected with someone uh, someone else in the organization. But after we seek out people like in different organizations, what are they doing and building those relationships at different levels? So one is at the peer level but one is at the manager level, one is at the senior manager level. And these relationships should help you get career feedback over time. It should get uh, feedback on kind of the company direction, new opportunities that are starting up at your companies. Because I think one learning for me personally is it's very easy in your early career to be highly dependent just on your manager for all of this information. But so many people can see your work and can see you communicate in different meetings. So why not use this pool of expertise that you're developing at the company to actually get feedback, right? And the third piece I would say from a kind of career perspective is look for like stretch opportunities at your job and ask for them actively. So one of the most experiences for me that was the kind of the most pivotal in my career was when I saw an opportunity to actually go to Europe for four months and do marketing for Europe at uh, when I was at Nutanix. So I got to go spend four months in Amsterdam. I got to travel to all our offices in Europe. And why that was so eye opening for me was one, personally, it was stretch experience. You're getting away from headquarters. You don't have kind of your safety net of all your peers at headquarters. But two, I got to actually see what marketing in the field is like, like how challenging it is for sellers in different markets to be selling, Um, how difficult it is when um, you have a headquarters that is not like looking at time zones for you and, and, you know, doing lots of education sessions or launching new products. Um, how difficult it is when a customer in you know for example Germany has very different requirements for how they understand a product versus a customer in Paris and so that experience I feel challenged me uh, immensely because it made me realize the role critically having kind of a global marketing organization. Two it also got me out of my personal comfort zone because I didn't have my peer group around me so I had to Present and do things that I would naturally not have to do when I was in headquarters. And it, more than anything, it gave me so much empathy for what it is like to be living outside the U.S. when you're not in a headquarters location. And that experience only came about because I saw an open, I saw something that was a need, and I asked for it. And these will often not be presented to you, but you really have to go out and see, search for them. Right.
1: Yeah, so this is a really very important and I think most people don't do this, the advice you just gave is for out of the box thinkers, for people who are pushing the edge, people who are fearless and breaking the barriers and you make it sound so easy, the way you're narrating this whole thing, you're definitely a risk taker, somebody who likes to push the boundaries and no wonder you're in a leadership position. Uh, thank you for that amazing advice, Nikita. This is truly uh, required in the post-pandemic world, and uh, I really appreciate the advice. Startups find it very hard to launch their marketing organization. Either they overspend or they underspend. What are some of the myths in marketing the startups need to break out of? What are some of the startup advice you have you know, on the marketing organization front?
0: Um, So I'd say the first thing I I spoke about this a bit earlier was uh, the myth is like you have to do a lot of things in marketing. I'd say you have to actually prioritize and pick very, very much what you're going to do. So to give you an example, right, it all starts with what's the customer segment you're going for. If you're going for large markets and uh, very high enterprise customers, you should likely be working very closely to figure out what is the story for your enterprise sellers versus trying to do a massive demand gen strategy, right? Right. Now, Mm -hmm. if you're trying to go mid-market or SMB, your strategy is gonna look likely very different. You're likely trying to get, it's a volume game versus a focus game. And so if it's a volume game, you're going to take different tactics to basically see, do I build out a demand gen organization? Do I build out something on our website that enables people to try it and build an amazing product-led growth model that does so, right? And so Mm -hmm. I think the first thing is like starting to do that matching between the customer segment that you're doing and the type of marketing organization that you should be building, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing I'd say is the types of kind of first hires that you make. The first hires in marketing, you know, are... Uh, very critical and also it's important because often at startups, like marketing starts much later in the organization and you may not have as much investment to put into it as some of your other core functions like engineering. So I'd say as you're looking at like hiring profiles for startups, I would really look at folks that can work really well for your target focus, right? So I'll give you an example for us at Instabase. You know, we realized that because we were selling to line of business, it was mm-hmm. very critical that we could speak our customer language. And so mm-hmm. we actually took an atypical path. And one of the very early roles that we hired at Instabase were industry experts. And I want to be clear, it's industry experts, not industry necessarily marketers. Industry experts are folks that have been you know, in the insurance industry for 10 years, in the finance industry for 10, 15 years, and they can be the level of credibility to our customers and be a partner for sales, right? And so that was a very unique and intentional decision that we made. But by doing that, um, it helps us really understand the pain points our customers are feeling from the lens of industry, right? And so really thinking creatively about the early hires that are gonna amplify and give the most lift to the other resources that you already have on your go-to-market motion. The third piece I'd say is definitely, again, my lens is more enterprise because my focus has been enterprise marketing and AI and machine learning, is Mm -hmm. taking a use case approach wherever you can. And this is something we did both at Nutanix and at Instabase. One of the common threads that you'll see in both these companies is they're both very technical platforms that have a lot of different, you know, speeds and feeds and needs that it could be filling for the business. What we did um, both at the, both the companies was in the early days take this founder platform message and actually see what would be the first five use cases that would be the most relevant, the ones that would get like so much pain point solved for our customers and tie all of our messaging and marketing efforts around those use cases. And I say this because if you think about a platform message, like if you take a really broad platform message, it is very hard to actually, for someone that's not the founder, to actually share that message. And so if I'm a founder, what I would be trying to do is take this um, platform message, identify what are the four or five use cases that are going to be the most fruitful, and have your marketing team really work on developing messaging for that use case. There are sometimes downsides with that use case thread. Like You may not be able to talk about every amazing part about your platform. Uh, You may not be able to make it as visionary as you like. But what yep. this is doing is enabling you to have a scalable sales story and letting people besides the founder start pitching so that um, you can now, you know, say as a startup, can I actually create my company for scale where its not sales is not just dependent on the founder, right? Final piece I would say is just like building an iteration cycle that is very, very often in common. And I think mm-hmm. the way you do this is have marketing, marketing and product. I'd say, and I think what often these functions together in a startup have them sit very close to the customer stories. And so mm-hmm. by doing that, you know, whether you're having them, um, you know, shadowing on sales calls or they're taking sales calls, uh, customer calls, prospect calls, attending conferences where you can be there. Um, have that close so that pulse is really close because the closer that flywheel can be, the faster you can iterate and, and the more at-bats that you can get and start finally collecting some data pools.
1: This is a really amazing advice. First time founder always tries to boil the ocean and that's where they go wrong and this is a really incredible piece of advice thank you for that nikita Um, certainly our founders are going to benefit from this so with that uh, i want to ask a wrap-up question Uh, you're at instabase you're heading marketing is there something you're looking for at this point in time which our listeners can reach out to are you uh, currently hiring or is there some product you're excited about you want to talk about on this podcast
0: Yeah, thank you for giving the opportunity. Um, I'd say, you know, for Asset at Instabase, the biggest problem statement, like any other company, is hiring. Um, to tell you just a little bit about Instabase, the company is a Series B uh, company backed by Andreessen, Greylock, Index. Um, we've raised over 150 million in funding over the last several years. And we are working on the problem of automation for unstructured data so how do we help companies that have really messy complex data add structure to that data and build uh, use cases that can be automated so when you and i apply for mortgage processing for example there yeah. is a lot of data that's involved in that process, how can we help automate it, right? And so right. the company over the last uh, two years has had kind of a phenomenal trajectory in terms of growth, the, you know, the types of customers we have. Um, we're working really with the largest banks, insurance companies, federal agencies in the world. Mm-hmm. And our biggest need right now is hiring. And so we're looking for roles across the board in my work from marketing to sales to uh, go to market uh, to engineering to customer success. And so if this kind of problem statement excites you, if being part of a startup journey excites you, I'd encourage you to uh, look at our career board and reach out if you have any questions.
1: Fantastic. So all of you who are listening to this podcast, please reach out to uh, Nikita Jagdish or the Instabase career uh, platform if you are interested in applying for jobs in marketing. And I think there are several other domains where they are hiring. Please take a look at that. With that, I'd love to bring this conversation very, but also very reluctantly to a close. We can talk endlessly about your experience. Nikita, thank you so much for gracing this uh, podcast and, uh, you know, would love to have you back once again.
0: Thank you so much, Vida. Um, I think it's incredible that you've built this platform and uh, just the thoughtful questions uh, you've gone above and beyond to kind of do research on and ask. So really appreciate giving me the opportunity to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much.